the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Great to be together again. As always, we've got some great interviews coming up. Dr. John Lott, the gun guy. Well, not the gun guy. Well, yeah, the gun Second Amendment guy. That's a better to say. He'll be with us. Uh, he's got a book last year about gun control myths. It's good. And even more to me, Andrew Pollack, the great Andrew Pollack, the, the father of um, uh, Meadow, uh, How Meadow Died is his book, uh, The Terrible Tragedy. Um, he's a wonderful man. He's been on the show a number of times. So he wrote the introduction to that book. And then we'll also break down... Uh, homelessness, homelessness a little bit. And some of the guys out at the Pacific Research Institute have done some looking at that, and they're coming up with creative ways. I'm going to tell you about in a moment what I think is happening. And and homelessness is, well, let me go into it. I'll tell you what you need to know. If you What you need to know today, and go over to ProAmericaReport.com, by the way, and sign up for the Daily Wink. What you need to know comes to your email box Monday through Friday, uh, 8 a.m. East Coast to 5 a.m. Pacific, and just line up there. Pay, put your email address in at ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, we send you that email. And it's got a few links, a few pieces to um, to read and to digest, and it will give you what you need to know. And I'll do that right now on the program as we start the program here. Here's what you need to know. I watched um, the other day Joe Biden do his uh, his press conference. And I've already talked, I think, about how it was very practiced and very staged and it was theatrical. You know, it was like a kabuki theater. Um, they announced it a week and a, a week and a half ago. And for a week and a half, they've been prepping for it. Right. So he had a he had a, 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 a script. He had pictures of the of the um, journalists. None of it's a bad idea, to be honest. It, it didn't feel like Trump. It didn't feel like Obama. It didn't even feel like George W. Bush. It felt like a, it felt different. And because Biden is so old, it felt sort of like he was uh, feeble. But, you know, he, he that was what they wanted to do. Here's the key, in my opinion. They had the answers ahead of time. And they had so they had the they had, excuse me, they had the questions ahead of time. So they had the answers and the answers they gave to me were sort of misdirection. Um, and they didn't really get to the heart of it. And here's what I want to tell you. I, and this is my this back to my point. And I'll ask uh, Dr. Wayne Weingarten in a few moments about the homelessness question. He's a he's a fellow at uh, one of the centers at Pacific Research Institute. And um, I, I did a periscope this morning in front of Union Station. Now, two years ago, I was in front of the the uh, train station in Milan and there was <clears throat> camped uh, African men. They were all men camped there. And at one o'clock in the afternoon, walking past them on an open piazza, an African, these are migrants uh, from uh, from Africa, was urinating in public. And my family's with me and I, nobody looked that way, thankfully. But it was like wide open right there. You could see it. it was it was haunting. It was strange. It was a camp. So today in front of Union Station in D.C., uh, earlier today, I filmed a video uh, of tents going up of homeless people camping out at Union Station. Now, there weren't as many, uh, to be fair, as Milan, but it was the same idea. Tents, full tents, people living in the open square in front of Union Station. And if you go two blocks away from that, there's not two, there was, I think, three tents in front of Union Station. Go two blocks away in front of Heritage Foundation, right by the Hart Building, the Senate Building that's called the Hart Building, and there were 40 tents all stacked together in a village. Now, my point here is, What's going on? There's 
within three blocks of there, there's at least two that I know of homeless shelters. And there's at least two churches within five blocks that take in folks. And here's the deal. In D.C., it's run by all the Democrats. They won't they won't clear the streets. They won't clear people up. They won't do it. So they're letting this crisis grow. They're letting people feel the crisis because you can't go to the subway at Union Station without saying, what is it? You know, why is there a tent? Why is there homeless people that look kind of, you know, not well and scary and you know wonder what's going on? It's not normal. And the reason is. They, they want a crisis. People like to generate a crisis so that they can use the fear you have of the crisis to get solutions done. In the case of homelessness, it's usually an expansion of programs. It's usually an expand. And be clear, and we'll talk later about this, the homeless are almost always um, mental health issues and drug addiction issues. But, but that's a different point than leaving them on the street and letting, letting it grow into tent cities. And back to what I mean here is when I watched Joe Biden's uh, uh, press conference, what I saw was very little conversation about um, COVID. There wasn't much on that, right? There wasn't much conversation on gun control. I thought he would, you know, maybe he'd lean into that. What he was really focused on and what that what came up to me was two things. One, he claimed, and the media said it was true, even though it was a lie, that the Republicans, as well as Democrats, but the American people were behind him. And he kept saying that over and over. The Republican, Republican, even Republicans agree with me that they want to do this. And he was talking about the election laws, the HR one that Nancy Pelosi passed that would federalize and dramatically centralize into the control of Congress, and more importantly into the control of federal law, elections, same day voter registration, mandatory mail in ballots with no signature verification, expanding all of the offsite of elections, uh, you know, lowering the threshold for photo ID. Actually, one of the things is banning a photo ID requirement. So that's what Joe Biden was talking about. And he was saying protecting the elections. Remember, the narrative machine has been pushing on us that there was nothing wrong with the 2020 election. If you say that, there's something wrong with you. And that's what they've been saying over and over again. Of course, a lie. That's the lie. They even call people that wonder about the November 2020 elections. They say you're believing the big lie. So flash forward. The crisis that Joe Biden wants us to believe in is a crisis that in his press conference that the American people want to, quote unquote, protect elections by passing the Nancy Pelosi plan. And here's the deal. If they pass that thing, it will change this country for 50 years. And here's the deal. Joe Biden signaled he if they can't get the people to come along in the Senate, then they should change the filibuster rules. Now, I've told you before, I'm, the filibuster rule is a rule of the Senate. It's not a, it's not in the Constitution, but it is a sort of a, a, a break or a lever, you know, a, a break, a, 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 a sort of a, a stop uh, to it, it slows down some of the changes. And the senators seem to like that. But I'm, I'm, my point here is it seems clear that Joe Biden wants to go big. And a fight over gun control right now is probably a distraction because he knows he can't do it, can't succeed. Even a fight over immigration, which is a crisis, he knows they can't succeed. They can't figure their way out of that because it's just impossible. Now, he did lie about that. He said that the, 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 the Biden administration is sending more people away than come to the border. It's nonsense. The, the statistics came out today. 13% of the people that come to the border are sent back. That means that 87% of the people who come to the border are coming in. He said that the migrants, the uh, the uh, people that are seeking the unaccompanied minors that are coming, he said most of them are, are, are uh, young men. It's a lie. He said most. He said that most of them are 16, 17-year-old men. That's a lie. There's no. There, there's nothing. It's all a mix, just like you'd expect. So that that crisis they can't control. In fact, he, he put Kamala Harris in, in charge of that. We'll see how that turns out. 
But what he can control is, and what they what we did see was the narrative machine follow his lead and say how it's the Republicans, it's the uh, the Republican Party, it's the Congress that won't go, you know get off their uh, uh, tail and protect voting rights. It's the Republicans blocking that, and it's the Congress failing to do it. And I, I got to tell you, I had a sinking feeling watching that. First of all, it doesn't feel like he's in charge of anything, right? He, he feels like a figurehead, which is, again, a president can be as active or inactive as you want. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of evidence that at various times, different presidents, you know, things were being run by, you know, FDR's aides were running things for one full term or, you know, part of a term. Um, you know, different people had different roles. But... When I saw him talking about the crisis and how we have to get to the, you have to protect elections, and he talked about how the the filibuster is a leftover from the Jim Crow laws, five years ago, that's not much, 10 years ago it was, not five, I think it was 10 years ago Joe Biden did it, and 15 years ago uh, Barack Obama did it, and said that the filibuster was a necessary protection. They didn't say anything about Jim Crow laws, so remember, the trick here is, if you can make it racial, you can even get more oomph. So now Joe Biden stood in that press conference and said people that won't pass the largest consolidation, concentration of electoral power in history, Nancy Pelosi's H.R. 1, the people who won't pass that are racists. That's what he said. And the New York Times followed suit and CNN followed suit and big tech followed suit. And the narrative machine is bearing down on the American people to change the, the way we have elections and what we do in this country. It's an extraordinary moment, and my point is the crisis that they're building towards is not gun control. It's not even immigration amnesty, because if they win this one on H.R. 1, they get control of the country for 50 years or forever, probably. You'd lose the republic. And when Georgia passed a law in the last 24 hours, they passed a law and the governor signed it that said we're going to have photo ID requirements. We're going to have uh, stricter rules on all sorts of things around the elections. Everybody in Washington, Joe Biden and everybody said, ha see, we've got to pass this massive federal centralization of elections and get control. Be, be worried, be aware, be concerned. It's a big deal. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with uh, Dr. Wayne Weingarten, and also we'll visit with Dr. John Lott. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe in the other order. We'll come back in a moment. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. A great opportunity and great privilege to speak next with our next guest, uh, Dr. John Lott, who has been a prolific writer and a speaker and a real voice of, uh, well, not just reason, but smarts. And his book last year was called, uh, came out last year, about six months ago, uh, Gun Control Myths. If you want to understand what the game plan is, how they uh, try to, how the left tries to confuse you, you got to read this Gun Control Myths, available anywhere you get books. And the, and the uh, forward is written by our old friend Andrew Pollack, who's been on the program so many times, who wrote the book, How Meadow Died, an extraordinary book. So first of all, welcome, Dr. Lott. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, let me put you put, put you on the spot on the politics of right now. If the Democrats in the Senate get rid of the filibuster, so they just can pass things, you know, without any kind of uh, any kind of uh, uh, filibuster proof majority, what do you think they would do on gun control? Oh, <laughs> Well, they would do a lot. Uh, I mean, they'd pass the two bills that just got passed in the House uh, that are right. called. Uh, one is uh, these uh, so-called background checks on private transfers of guns, and the other one is 
something that they label as the Charleston loophole, which is really mislabeled. Uh, they claim that uh, in the Charleston church shooting uh, that occurred in South Carolina during the Obama administration, that the only reason why that occurred was because uh, the killer was uh, supposed to be denied from being able to purchase a gun, but the background check system just didn't have enough time to go and pick it up. Um, the problem with that is it's not true. Uh, if you're uh, if you have a felon felony background, you're banned from having guns. Or if you've been arrested mm -hmm. but not yet adjudicated, and uh, the prison term for a state offense would be two years or more. Uh, then you're hmm. banned from buying a gun until the hmm. court makes a decision on your guilt in that case. The, the thing is, uh, he, he wasn't charged with a felony. He was charged with a misdemeanor drug offense, and the longest prison term he would have suffered would have been six months. So they could have checked his record for 30 years, and they wouldn't have been able to find him being disqualified. If they, I see. It's really, yeah. they just want to make it a 30-day waiting period for people to be able right. to go and buy guns. And, uh, you know, if they want to ban people to buy guns who have a misdemeanor arrest, then fine, make that claim, saying if you have a misdemeanor arrest, uh, you shouldn't be able to go and buy guns. But that's not what they want to do, or, you know, or, or argue, or if they want to say we want up to a 30-day waiting period, fine, make that argument. But don't kind of drape it in a mass public shooting that you claim could have been prevented when the type of rule that you're having there has nothing to do with it. And, uh, well, and, and, yeah, and that and, that, and that's your point. Uh, we're talking with Dr. John Lott about uh, they, they're never making the, reg, the real argument that they mean to make. They're they're trying to spin you spin past you and, and, and they hope the American people don't catch on. It, it, can I say this, uh, John? It, it seems to me that Joe Biden as president, he did give a speech after the shooting uh, that uh, occurred in Colorado. He gave a little speech that seemed to me to be the talking points. You know, we must, we must, we must. It's our chance. But I don't know. It doesn't feel like he it feels like they have different um, uh, fights they want to make right now. Am I being too optimistic that that uh, Joe Biden doesn't really have his heart in trying to do gun control right now? Well, I think the problem is they have their heart in trying to make a lot of radical changes in a lot of different areas at the same time. Right. And right. And they're accomplishing it. And. Um, the Democrats vote in unison on this stuff. Uh, I mean, they just passed this $1.9 trillion pork barrel bill that they had, and then now they want to pass another $3 trillion pork barrel bill. I mean, this is on top of the normal spending. And Trump was only able to get his $1.9 trillion coronavirus bill through because most of it was pork that the Democrats insisted on in order to go and get the other relief through. And uh, so, I mean, we've had massive spending for uh, Democratic interest groups that they've gotten through and they want to get more through. They want to have this uh, radical reform of the election process, forcing states to move to mail-in ballots. Um you know, they want to ban states being able to require ID, any form of ID for people voting. They just want you to be able to come in and declare who you are and uh, just take your word for it uh, for voting. Um, hmm. You know, so they, they have a lot of bills that they want to get through. And I don't know, uh, 
you know, I think uh, the Democrats' heart is definitely into gun stuff. But, you know, they're... You know, you look at uh, the list of things that Biden promised during the campaign. One of the things that he wants to do is uh, is to classify semi-automatic rifles. Uh, I don't know if it's all or most as class three weapons. Uh, class three weapons have traditionally been just machine guns. You have to pay a two hundred dollar fee. You have to go through about a nine month approval process. Um I assume that approval process would get much longer if they're going to have all these uh, uh, rifles being included in that. They want to also include um, any uh, magazine for a gun that can hold more than 10 rounds. Uh, so you'd have to pay $200 for that and get it registered and licensed. Um, you know, and there are lots of things that I think they want to do just to make it very costly. Uh, for people to be able to go and own guns uh, for self-defense. It's, my fear is that it's going to be the most vulnerable people, poor minorities who live in high-crime urban areas, who need guns the most, uh, who get the biggest benefits simply because they are the most likely victims of violent crime, who are the ones who are clearly going to be priced out of being able to go and defend their families and themselves. Uh, we're talking with Dr. John Lott, and of course, he's uh, written many books and been out uh, speaking on uh, on these issues. Uh, Dr. Lott, I wanted to ask you about the case that just came out in the last few days, Young versus Hawaii. The Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which of course is not the final word, but it's right below the Supreme Court, and an 11 judge panel, so on banc, and they, I think it was seven to four, uh, and the, they held that there is no right to... Um, to carry a firearm to a firearm and carry a firearm in public, and I just want to read you the the, uh, the 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 dissent. Who is a judge O'Scanlan, who happens to be someone I admire, I know pretty well from my time clerking, and he wrote this. He or he said this: the majority failed to properly interpret the U.S. Supreme Court's 2008 decision in District of Columbia versus Heller, which overturned right. D.C.'s total ban on handguns and requirement. Here's the thing. Oh, here's the actual quote: Second Amendment's text, history, and structure, and the Supreme Court's reasoning in Heller all point squarely to the same conclusion. Armed self-defense in public is at the very core of the Second Amendment right. The, the, the majority cited like uh, English uh, custom in the 1300s and uh, colonial life before the Constitution. I guess my question to you, is this a bump along the way to the Supreme Court to clarify this, or should people be more worried about it? Well, I mean, it's something to worry about at this point. Look, uh, Scalia's decision in uh, uh, D.C. v. Heller uh, was pretty clear. I mean, he talked about the right to keep and bear arms. He talked about the fact that to bear meant to be able to carry, uh, to keep meant to be able to at least keep it inside your home. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think uh, the judge in the dissent there is exactly right. But, look, it's not a surprise. The Democrats control the uh, Ninth Circuit. Um, right. You know, and... Uh, you know, whether the Supreme Court's willing to take it up uh, in part depends on John Roberts. I mean, Roberts uh, has killed any attempts to hear any gun cases over the last couple of years. And uh, um, his attitude seems to be he doesn't want to take anything that would maybe get liberals upset about something. And so he generally shies away from those cases. And I don't know what I mean, I hope Amy Barrett uh, comes through on this, and I hope Kavanaugh will. 
I think Gorsuch is a strong uh, person on this issue. I don't think there's much doubt about him. Um, right. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's high time. It's been a decade since the court has taken up any of these types of cases. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you have a lot of Democratic-controlled circuit courts like uh, the, Cal- the Ninth Circuit, which pretty much ignore what the Supreme Court has decided in the past. Yep, there you go. All right, Dr. John Lott, thank you. Uh, John R. Lott, Jr., if you go on uh, anywhere books are sold, the newest one of his newest books is Gun Control Myths. He's writing uh, all over. He's uh, uh, teaching, and Andrew Pollack wrote the uh, foreword. Go ahead. Sorry. People can find more at our website, crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. It's the Crime Prevention Research Center. Okay, I'll put that up on social media. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, Dr. John Lott, and uh, we will put it all up on social media. And people can visit ProAmericaReport.com and listen to this interview. We'll post it over there, too. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break and come back. Again, we go to ProAmericaReport.com, and you can listen to these interviews uh, after uh, the show. We post them over there, and I'll put all these links up on social media. Ed Ed Martin here in the ProAmerica Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So I, my next guest can't know this, but I'm going to tell him that I was actually out uh, near my office in Washington, D.C. earlier today, and I did a, I did a, um, uh, a periscope, and one of the things I highlighted was right in front of Union Station now are tents. The homeless have pitched tents, and Washington, D.C. has sort of allowed uh, open season on homeless wherever they want. And uh, this problem is real, right? There's a real problem. A lot of homeless have mental health issues and, and uh, addiction issues and all kinds of things. Well, Dr. Wayne Weingarten is a uh, senior fellow in business and economics uh, and a director of the uh, PRI's Center for Medical, excuse me, Medical Economics and Innovation. Uh, obviously, he's an economist. And and his newest book is uh, called No Way Home, No Way Home, The Crisis of Homelessness and How to Fix It with Intelligence and Humanity. And uh, so welcome, first of all, sir, to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks so much for having me. So before we go too much further, do when I say that so glibly as if I have a real sense, but I, you know, homelessness is not a choice for most people, right? I mean, it's a, there's a some people get put into the position because of all kinds of things, but there's a lot of other factors, isn't that right? It, it's there's a lot of factors, and people fall into homelessness for for many reasons, and so you know when you're addressing homelessness, you need to understand kind of how somebody ended up there, uh, otherwise we're never going to mm-hmm. fix the problem. Yeah. And so, all right. So what is the, um, what do we do? And what do you, uh, what do you say in No Way Home? And, and how do you, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you start out addressing it? Because on one side, the, the conservatives say, oh, you know, uh, we can't have homelessness. Uh, let's do, uh, let's figure it out. On the other side, they say, let's let anything go, uh, the far left. And in between, there's got to be something that empowers people and gets them help they need. So walk us through what you think should be done. I, I think with that comment, you could have written our book, actually. Um, it was m- myself <laughs> and a couple of co-authors, uh, and we had lots of different perspectives. You know, one was a, a lawyer. We had someone who's kind of a social expert. And so we had lots of different perspectives on what's driving homelessness. And, and we were focusing on California because California is the worst in the country. But it, it, it applies universally. And, and what you really have is if we divide the homeless, broadly speaking, into two different types of homeless, those who are situational for economic or life, uh, some sort of life event reason, and those who have mental illness and substance abuse. Uh, and what we have a problem right now is 
ineffectual policies. Um, we, we're not kind of spending our money wisely. We're implementing policies, especially in California, which makes living unaffordable. And so you're, you're at the edge and it just takes one adverse life event to, to push you over. And then we're not, things like you were talking about union unionization and, and allowing people to sleep on the street and it's growing a right to sleep on the street. And in California, when you combine that with the fact that we're not actually um, enforcing laws or we've downgraded laws, so now you can steal up to $950 and it's only a misdemeanor, so nobody pays attention. So we're actually enabling what is, in fact, our view, Hmm. a very inhumane lifestyle. Right. Right. And uh, let me remind folks and, and, ma- and make sure to point out, we're talking with Dr. Wayne Weingarten, and he's at the Pacific Research Institute, senior fellow. If you go to PacificResearch.org, I think that's right. I'm looking at my notes. PacificResearch.org. You can find out more about a lot of this. And I should highlight, thank you for helping me remember to highlight, he's a, one of the uh, authors. There's a couple others, uh, uh, Kerry Jackson, Christopher Rufo, who I've been impressed with. He's been writing quite a bit, and uh, I'm on his email list now. Uh, I think he's a, a fellow of uh, PRI. And Joseph Tartakovsky. Um, so, Dr. Weingarten, but but what do we do, right? I mean, a part of me, when I see the growing homeless tents uh, camp in front of Heritage Foundation, a block from the U.S. Senate, I say to myself, clean it out. Get, you know, get them off the street. It can't be good to have people living in a lifestyle that won't turn out well, but you got to put them somewhere, right? You got to, you know, you can't like take them to the end of town, like in, in, in the Middle Ages and leave them outside of the, the town, the, the, the walls of the city, right? So well, how do we handle that? And, and is it true that the problem is growing worse because of the economy or drug use or what's the state of play of, of the real, of the, pro, the heart of the problem? The, the state of play, and, and I think this is, Chris would say the state of play is that the driving factor are, is drug abuse. Uh, the driving factor is kind of a mental illness and the way we're dealing with it. And he has a great kind of statement where he says, we're not actually um, deinstitutionalizing, right? We're not actually not taking care, uh, taking these people into institutions, but what that institution is are jails. So we're waiting until they commit really heinous offenses, and then we just throw them right. into jail, and that's not good for us, and that's not good for the homeless. So I think the way you address mm-hmm. it is, first of all, you have to enforce the law. Right? We have to stop this concept that there's a right to live on the streets. That's not good for society, it's not good for the economy, and it's not good for the homeless. So it, this is a, a, an awful idea. I, it's continuing to grow, and we need to stop that. We have to stop the, the idea that there's a right to live on the street, and then we need to use enforcement of the law as an opportunity to get people not necessarily into the justice system, but into a system that where, where they can help. And, and, and that, this idea comes from a homeless court, which has been tried, and it's actually quite successful, where you have a, a homeless person who's uh, addicted to drugs, and so they steal in order to feed their habit, and so law enforcement captures them. Now, as opposed to sending them into jail, you take them to homeless court, you can actually effectively sentence them to treatment. And if they complete, complete that treatment, if they complete it satisfactorily, um, you could actually expunge their record, and you're now helping that person kind of get back into kind of the swing of things, get back into kind of a stable lifestyle, a lifestyle off of the streets. Uh, and so you're helping that person kind of uh, get off the streets. At the same time, we're cleaning up the streets. At the same time, we're saving money because throwing someone into jail is a lot more expensive, and we're solving that problem of crime. So we're, we're actually, and that's what we're talking about, a humane approach and an intelligent approach. 
Mm-hmm. The idea being that it is not humane to allow people to live on the street. I, I know people in San Francisco who, when they're riding the BART, right, that's the, the subway, they yeah, won't sit subway. down for fear of, of uh, a used drug needle. That's just not acceptable. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're talking with uh, Dr. Wayne Weingarten of the Pacific Research Institute. By the way, the book, again, is from Encounter Books. That's important. Encounter Books, if you're looking for it, it's called No Way Home, The Crisis of Homelessness and How to Fix It with Intelligence and Humanity. Um, here's a question I have. More and more you see the policymakers, you know, thinking of um, Andrew Yang uh, ran for president on this. You saw in the stimulus, the so-called COVID bailout stimulus, whatever it was, you saw billions, uh, I think over $100 billion of direct giveaways to people, payments to uh, families. You see more and more the idea that there needs to be direct payments from the government, some people called, you know, the UBI or whatever the phrase would be. But And the idea in, in this and where I think it is a problem in terms of, I think it's a bad policy, but people see the economy shifting, information, technology, all this, and they're saying, well, there's not going to be the same kind of jobs. So either you're going to put people in a certain setup, whether it's some sort of... Um, you know, towns that are set up for people that don't have the uh, skills and pay them directly. I guess my point here is it feels like the crisis that the left is that people are generating the left, it feels like is meant to drive us towards that kind of thinking. And do you see that? Do you feel it? How do you counter that? I, I counter that very simply. One, I think if we talk about, and Milton Friedman had this idea, which I'm, I'm a big proponent of, replacing the, inc- the current income support program, and I mean everything, and just give cash. But give cash with, with work requirements or education requirements, and you slowly phase out the cash as people earn more so that people have an incentive to go out and get either education if they need retraining or to get a job. I think that is actually a much more efficient income support program. And so if this concept of the UBI can evolve into this notion that our current income support program is failing, it's failing the people who need it, and it's failing the taxpayer, and we actually go to a much simpler uh, income support, just giving money, because the government is not good at running programs, but they are good at getting out money. And so just, just leverage that enforce the work requirements or the education requirements, you could actually get people uh, the skills that they need to continue to thrive and prosper um, and, you know, again, pursue that American dream. So from that perspective, I think the, the UBI would make sense, again, as a replacement. Uh, this notion mm-hmm. that people can't evolve, that's just silly. That's just the stagnation theory. It, it's throughout time, if you look at economic history, there's people who have claimed in the 1800s, 1900s, 20s, you know, that right. um, <laughs> we, we can't yeah. grow anymore. That we, we've reached our end. I mean, Malthus said that, you know, way back in the 1700s, population is going to, 1800s, is going to outgrow our food supply and so right. we're all going to. Uh, right. So, you know, that, that's right. as oldest, uh, and, and it's just it's silly. It's just silly, lazy thinking. And it's also think that you could give people money and have them have a productive lifestyle and have the rest of the society able, willing to, to, to fund that. It, that's just wishful thinking. It's completely inconsistent with every kind of empirical kind of evidence you could find. It just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, uh, well, and and the only thing I have, we're talking with Dr. Wayne Wayne Weingarten of uh, Pacific Research Institute. He's the director of the Medical Economics and Innovation Center there and uh, PacificResearch.org. The only problem is what you said is if you used a UBI to uh, leverage, you know, to leverage out of all the welfare systems, the problem is I can't picture anybody, either party, being able to stomach. They would probably do both. You know, it's like it's like the old thing, and then they, and we'd get rid of neither. I mean, that's the that's the real tension. So that's uh that's the problem in reality. All right, well, thank you, Dr. Wayne Weingarten. I got to run up again PRI's Center for Medical Economics um, and Innovation they have their own website you can link through I just was checking it out Dr. Wayne Weingarten and uh, we will make sure to put the book up on uh, social media make sure people are paying attention it seems like a great um, great topic and great people involved so thank you very much sir oh, thank you so much have a great one you too alright we'll take a break and be right back it's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment this is the Phyllis Schlafly Report a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When President Biden proposed a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, conservatives rightly became concerned about the effect such a bill might have on the United States economy. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen promptly waved off concerns about double-digit inflation as though they're hardly worth addressing. She didn't refute these concerns with data or logic. Instead, she simply said she's spent many years studying inflation and therefore expects our entire nation to take her word for it. Americans deserve a better explanation than this. If inflation goes through the roof, everyone suffers. Hardworking Americans who have chosen to put money in CDs, annuities, or other investments could see their money shrinking rather than growing. Retirement could become a pipe dream for many who had otherwise been diligently saving for their future. Americans could spend decades recovering from the financial losses if Secretary Yellen gets it wrong. Her status as an expert is not good enough. If Yellen's experience has given her any ideas on how to address inflation, I'd have no problem taking her thoughts into consideration. However, I will always stop short of blindly accepting the word of an expert, no matter how many years of experience they have. America was founded on the idea that our citizens are not stupid. If you allow information to flow freely, people are capable of making informed choices for themselves. America has become far too obsessed with the opinion of experts. Yes, we still need doctors to go to medical school, and we still need lawyers to go to law school. But we cannot allow our nation to become a technocracy run by self-proclaimed experts rather than being run by we the people. Bureaucrats and politicians love to talk about how much more qualified they are than you are to run a nation. But that's nothing more than a prideful power play. Don't be intimidated by those who think they know more than you. Our founding fathers secured the free exchange of information so you could read up, get informed, and voice your opinions. Moving America forward is not a job best left to experts. Your voice matters. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, and it's time to uh, touch base and do what I have to call it generally the... Uh um, Julie Kelly update. The Julie Kelly update. I should do a segment every time, even if I'm not talking about talking with her. I'm just talking about what she writes. She wrote over at American Greatness. Actually, she wrote last night on Twitter. Um, well, what night was it? She was on Twitter. Let me run through my head. Wednesday night could have been Wednesday or Thursday night. I noticed that she was. Um, she tweeted that J- Donald Trump was on Laura Ingram's show, and on the Laura Ingram show, uh, Donald Trump complained, rightly so, uh, accurately, that the um, Department of Justice was persecuting uh, Trump supporters with their policies on all the arrests on the January 6th events. And what Julie Kelly had gone through and has gone through over and over, and American Greatness uh, is amazing, amgreatness.com, American Greatness blog, has cataloged how insane it is what has happened. And if you go, in fact... um, uh, Julie Kelly has cash. She's gone. She's read hundreds and hundreds. I think it's up to 200 arrest records, the records of an arrest for people that, you know, were arrested for walking into the Capitol and nothing else. They, they're being ushered in by by security. They don't even know that it's uh, the first the batch of first batch of people went into somewhere. As she said in one of her pieces, if you go into someone's office, push your way into an office. Well, that's getting that's too far. Right. But if you walk into the building because someone else had or be ahead of you done that. Anyway, she went through all the records. And it's outrageous. You have people being held in jail for weeks and months who are they are clearly not a flight threat. They're not a, 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 a violent a threat of violence. Nothing. And she goes through all those. And she has ba- basically single handedly driven uh, coverage to it. And it's been an extraordinary service. Well, her most recent piece, which uh, ran in American Greatness, amgreatness.com a few days ago, uh, is about this. And I think she's right. Where is... The Republican Party's outrage over what's happened. And she didn't do this, but I will. Can you imagine what what it would have looked what it would look like if, for example, the uh, Trump Department of Justice put 200 Black Lives Matter and Antifa people in jail after rioting through the city of D.C. or Milwaukee or Portland or wherever and held them. And argued for no bail and extended jail time while they're waiting uh, trial or any kind of tre- any kind of uh, pretrial anything. If you do, if you did that, there would be literally there would be uh, uh, almost riots by members of Congress, Democrats who would be screaming, screaming, screaming. And right now, hundreds of American citizens, lots of them veterans, lots of them longtime pro-lifers, all this kind of stuff are being held. And she says accurately, Julie Kelly. Where's the outrage from the Republican Party? What's wrong with these people in office? And I have to tell you, one of the things that I don't think you can ever underestimate right now is how much America hates the swamp, the people in the swamp, both parties. Because this is a perfect example of how, you know, the, the wringing of the hands. Ben Sass, the, co- the senator from uh, Nebraska, he's always like this. And he's like, you know, he's like, oh, this is, it's so, uh, the, the building has been desecrated is the phrase he used. And he's uh, wringing his hands about how institutions, you know, can't be trusted. He doesn't know why. All this. It, look, the thing is, this is wrong, a lot of it. And the people in power, the Republicans, are once again doing nothing about it. And here's the reality. If you're a sitting member of the United States House or Senate... You can, with a single letter to the DOJ, released to the press, make waves on this. Let alone if you decided to take all 200 and say, let's say you just, if I, was a, if I was a U.S. senator, if I was a staffer for a senator, I would call Julie Kelly and I'd say, can you send me a list of all those, ma- all those people? And I'm going to send a letter to the uh, Department of Justice and say, will you please review all of these and get back to me ASAP as to what's going on here? And here's the thing. Any sitting member of the House or Senate, 
even if he or she is in the minority, which the Republicans are, would get tons of attention. You just have to be willing to take the fight and take the pushback and take the, the, take the attention and be called, like Josh Hawley, you know, an insurrectionist and, and be called, like Ted Cruz is called, you know, uh, uh, and uh, uh, seditious. All these names that will be thrown at you. But her point is, you've not seen a cross-section of, a, of, a, of Republican or conservative people like these people that are being held and abusively held. And, you know, the ACLU, if it was a Black Lives Matter, the ACLU would be the ones that would be uh, doing, doing uh, all the kinds of uh, yelling and screaming and protesting. And, of course, they're not going to do that. But Julie Kelly's right. It's an outrage. And what we need is we need to have our uh, leadership in this country, conservative leaders, whether they're Republican or not, whether they're church leaders, whether whoever they are, decide that they're going to be more aggressive uh, and not be intimidated and decide that they're going to actually stand up and make noise in the ways that they need to. Not that they want to. This is needed. And if they won't, if they can't, they need to move aside They need to move on. All right, I got, we got to run. We got to wrap it up. Hey, listen, everybody, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. It's Ed Martin. I want to thank Noah, our great technical director, Joanna, for helping book guests, and all of you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to track everything that we're up to, and we will be back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.